Here at Early Excellence, we specialise in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 101 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode, we're joined by Sam Casely and Ruby Thompson from the Herd Theatre in Hull. Um, they join us to talk all about a really fantastic project, the Replay Project, which focused on using open-ended materials and resources, these incredible materials with young children. And we talk about the value of open-ended play. We talk about children's creative ideas and responses. We talk about the adults and what the adults are doing, how they engage with the children. We talk about all sorts of things. Um, you are going to absolutely love this, I think. I really enjoyed talking to Sam and Ruby. I found it really, really interesting. So, uh, so yeah, here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Sam and Ruby from The Herd Theatre. Sam and Ruby, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, really excited to chat to you, Andy. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Fab, fab. Now, I saw the work that you've been doing, or a little bit of the work that you've been doing. I saw it online. Um, so uh, I think it was just before Christmas. Um, I was scrolling online, uh, as you do, and um, I was on, I think it was on Twitter or X, as, the, as people call it these days. And I happened to see a... Um, a post by, I think it was by Endike Primary School, which is a school that we've been working with, or we are working with. Um, and it was, it drew, it completely drew me in because um, one of my passions um, is open-ended play, providing young children with open-ended opportunities, open-ended resources, so that they can have this imaginative um, experience, this opportunity to to, to bring something of themselves to those resources and, and to change what how we might see those resources. And the, the photographs that Endai Primary School had shared were of these brilliant open-ended resources that completely drew me in. And when I read more about it, they were sharing it because they'd been involved in a project with you uh, at the, the Herd Theatre. And so I then got in touch. And of course, the this interview is is really from that, from that moment of getting in touch. So thank you so much for, for agreeing to, to come on the podcast. Um, can you tell us, first of all, uh, we'll get on to talking about that project, the Replay Project, because it sounds fantastic. But before we do, can you just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself? Would that be okay? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So my name's Ruby. I'm a theatre director um, and I'm here with Sam, who co-runs The Head, who is a writer, a composer, um, and we've been been working under the head uh, for six years. Mm -hmm. And we're a theatre company. We both trained as actors and went to university and studied drama. Um, we met at drama school mm -hmm. at Central doing an MA. Um, and so our, our way into working with earliest children is all through drama and all through storytelling. Um, and we kind of fell into making work for earliest audiences. So traditionally we make shows we make an um, hour long well 40 to hour long depending on the audience age um shows that um 
that schools or families come to uh, experience. Um, and But we kind of fell into that work, didn't we, with early years, just because uh, we wanted to reach an, have an audience in Hull where we're based um, through the libraries. We wanted to reach people who maybe don't feel comfortable going to a theatre space or maybe haven't been to uh, a sort of arts um, experience before. So we wanted to reach audiences, but we also spotted that there were going to reading groups at the library and there was maybe people we could tap into if we kind of take our work to the library rather than wait for people to come into a theatre space where they might not feel comfortable. Um, but then we found that the audience at the library were early years. They were like two to five years was the well, most well-attended age group. So it wasn't like a, a plan that, oh, that's what we'll make work for. But then we made a show called Slime um, and we absolutely fell in love with theatre for early years children. It is the most live, like raw theatrical experience you can have. Um, the audience are just so magically unpredictable. They will be so honest about how they're feeling. Their behaviours are really clear. They'll vocalise, they'll move. So you have got to be on your game as a performer and you've got to be so connected to your audience. And that's the work that we like best. We like really live we like very playful um, experiences about people being in a space. So there's kind of no pretense that the audience sit there quietly and shut up. We like ones that were the audience get involved so this audience was just absolutely perfect for us so since since that since that show we've just become obsessed with Elias and children's brains and how children's brains develop and how children see the world and how they engage with story and play because actually fundamentally i think that's what all acting and all storytellers want to do they want to get back to that state of like pure imaginative expression <laughs> that's what we're all trying to get to i think whereas children are just experts and masters and then we sort of lose it don't we as we grow we sort of confidence with it and, and also curiosity and like, curiosity like yeah. want to understand the world is what like artists are trying to do all of the time they're trying to sort of figure out why people do what they do and, and that's what being a, a young child is about isn't it constantly sort of being curious about the world around you how things work how people interrelate and um, but also the reason it does relate to this project is, is that that show and that first time we did something because we also we were doing it in a library space and we knew that um young children are very like take a very literal and are not like going to okay there's some lights there and the lights have changed blue because it's a, mo a moment of sad they're going to spot that they're blue and they're going to use that as part of their um information for the story that we're telling so we didn't we were thinking okay if we're in a room full of books those books are going to also influence the story we're telling so we we're like how can we package the whole thing so how can we transform our space so that every part of the room is part of that story so we created like an immersive firm garden so the story was um about a slug and a caterpillar and it was set like microscopic size so we decided to make the whole space that they're in the whole experience of that story part of that part of that um storytelling and then after the show obviously because we'd made the seats at the sitting was was like set part of the was touchy firm and different rocks and blocks and rocks and um they could play with some of the slime uh, and the slime trail and they were kind of the 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 stage was also to be played with and explored so after the show it became a play space basically like people would stick around and just explore and that was often our fit often our favorite part, part of it because you'd see children then performing the show again or playing with their grown-up and it's just a really really amazing um environment to be in with like 40 people or 40 families you know sharing this this experience so then in lockdown we were thinking more about that part of it and how it really yeah how how, how we can tell story or, or inspire stories and inspire play through space as opposed to necessarily through action and actors on stage and um, 
And we had been programmed by the South Bank Centre in London for this show. Slime went to the South Bank in the end. It grew from a library show and this like kind of toured and become a real um, flagship project for us. Um, but yeah, we also worked with the South Bank Centre, which is a, a big art centre on the South Bank in London. And, and we were having conversations and they kind of were interested in the set of our show as well. We were like kind of getting inspired and we kind of wanted to look at how we can make play spaces basically how can we look at design like I said to kind of inspire imaginations um, and then I think lockdown was actually a really a horrible time but also a really useful time for us because it meant that we did more reading we did more we're looking into child development we um, started speaking to some academics who work in like schools of early years and stuff like that yeah um, so it was a lot more space and a lot more thinking time about about things and then off the back of that we decided replay was born really we wanted we wanted to create a, a, a play full space where families could play together um and the, i think with it actually wasn't initially focused that early years it was actually like not to 11 and i think we can talk about that later about how useful these things are for early years but how they actually can keep being useful as children grow like i don't think the methodology actually is just for early years i think it's i think it's really helpful for older children too um uh but we, yeah, we wanted to interrogate how we could make a space where families come together um, and play. And at first we were thinking like, yeah, maybe we need to theme it with a story. Maybe we need to make it about like mushroom world or like, and then we just sort of through our research, we were like, we don't, again, they, the children, the experts, right? We don't need to tell them what we don't need. To, we don't actually, what's really exciting is texture, shape, color, Scale. Scale, yeah. And we read this amazing um, article that was written in the 80s, but but still kind of stands up and is really useful called Magical Playscapes. Um, and you can find it, if you just search it on Google, you can find it. It's like a really short article, it's only like 10 pages, but it's this architect who was, who was making playgrounds in the 80s and he, was, he, would talk, he writes a guideline of like what things excite children and actually it really holds up it's very useful if you're thinking about okay basically how can I create a new space it's that this kind of takes you through these points like Sam said one's about scale one of them's about um uh yeah color and open-endedness connectivity and we sort of use that as a, as a skeleton to think what can design be and um, but then very early on we knew that we were going to be the ones to because we need children, basically. We needed children. We needed um, to get to play. What their reaction to it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's inter interesting what you're saying as well. The um, I think that process that you were talking about, where your initial thought is that actually we've got to create something for the children and for them to come in and see it, is I think the process that, that many of us as teachers go through. So many teachers will try and create um, a particular role play area you know, a shop or, a, a you know, a, a travel agent or, or something like that. You know, we'll try and create, we'll, we'll be racking our brains, trying to think of what, what will we create for the children? When actually, I think when you've been doing it for a while, you've come to that idea that actually, as you have, that actually the what the children need are materials that they can use in different ways that interest them. And that from that, you see them responding and they will create something. If they find it interesting, they'll do it anyway. So whether you've created it for them or not, if they find it interesting, if it's, in, if it's, if it's something that is part of them, their passion for whatever it might be, they will carry on doing it and they'll do it. They'll do it. Um, the other thing that I think was really interesting, what you said just earlier on is about that when you did your initial 
play, um, the slime play, and that that children, um, you you did the the performance, and then straight away afterwards, the children would come and almost invade the space, and then they would play it out. That's a different response, isn't it, to adults? Adults will um, will watch a play, will will watch something on the television, or will watch a play in the theatre, or whatever it might be. What will it will it be involved in drama? But very much from a, I'm watching it and I'm kind of taking it on board, but then I've finished and I'm leaving the theatre. I'm leaving, I'm, you know, that's it. I'm moving on to something else. Whereas for children, it becomes part of them, doesn't it? it if, if it strikes a chord with them, they have to play it out. They, you know, they, if, if something is, it becomes part of them, it becomes important to them, they have to then play it out and work it through themselves in terms of making sense of it. And they do it through play. So I can completely see, you know, you know that 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 you've kind of gone that on that journey of going from providing something which is kind of play based theatre to something which is very much playful. Yeah, for, for me, that's a that's a, a really interesting step that you're going through from from kind of providing something to almost standing back and providing a bit less. If you see what I mean, I think it's really interesting. And, and so also, is that where replay was born? That yeah, was that was exactly it. Yeah, that's where replay was born. Um, and I was also thinking of us about thinking about children who have um, different needs as well, um, and trying to sometimes just like sitting and watching it doesn't just doesn't work. And I think often then parents or teachers can feel oh, oh that, it becomes a behavioural problem, and it's not. It's just that this isn't the for right now for that child, or maybe if never, it's just not gonna. It's not what they. It's not how they're going to understand a story. So it came out of that as well. It was like, okay, how can we like remove more barriers? How can we make, yeah, how can we like just, um, yeah, stop telling, telling children what they should be and what, how they should behave in, in certain cultural spaces? Um, but yeah. There's something that we also do in a lot of our theatre work, which is um, tell stories in as much of a non-verbal way yeah. as possible. And that comes out of like us loving Shaun the Sheep and silent comedy and that kind of like, that way of telling stories we really find joy in but it also leaves space for audiences to talk along and to say oh the caterpillar's now doing this or why is why is the slug doing that or he's made her sad or, or you know whatever the observation is without it being like this sort of battle between like speaking over actors it's kind of they're, they're watching and we, and we love it when audiences talk like that yeah. which that again then translates into when we sort of took a step into this play work of that's the same experience it's going into a space and, and sharing that space with your your peers or your or your parents or your the staff in your school or whatever and one another just to go back to the feeding the drama links one thing that has been so rewarding and nourishing as as theater makers is when we when we when we are in a play space with children just seeing role play just seeing them do performance and drama innately like and it's i guess again we said massively in early years but also older children like go straight to without being told to whereas we normally came from a practice of like setting up the drama exercise and trying to encourage people to like they don't they don't need it <laughs> they're experts they know what they're doing um which was really like yeah reassuring and um yeah exciting for us and um, shall i talk a little bit about how then replay was born from that yeah maybe like, uh, yeah that would be great if that's all right so so replay is the is the project that i saw when i when i kind of was was there online and, and I, I saw the post from from Endite primary school Yes. So I think and you might you might have seen the the school sessions that we did. I think that would be in the I think first. So. Yes. yes. So so tell us about so so it it was then born out of your background in in theatre work, but it became something which which kind of spanned working 
in schools, with schools, with with families as well. So, so yeah, tell us about how how that took shape then. So the South Bank Centre, who um, were the first people who commissioned this piece of work, were chatting to us about um, wanting to create a space where families could play, um, and they commissioned us to to fill this this space with play. And as part of that, we did. They, they also gave us um, the sort of space and time and resources to do a lot of research into, into what that could be. And um, that research had a few strands. We worked with some family groups in London um, with children aged zero, I think, to 11, actually, um, but maybe slightly more angled towards the, the early years under, under fives. Um, and then we also worked with schools and community groups up here in Hull to do that research. Um, and that research was a lot of us just taking in open-ended, reclaimed, recycled resources into spaces and allowing play, um, basically through saying, here's some stuff, play with it. Um, Ruby and myself and sometimes others would be the, sort of the play worker role, the kind of facilitator, but we, we very much took on that kind of approach of follow, don't lead, um, and, and often that just meant, you know, sitting back, watching, occasionally bringing resources over to children if, if you thought like a certain resource might help in the game that they're playing, asking questions, listening, um, and, and letting the play play out. Um, and the school that you are referring to, who we worked with and you guys worked with, Endike, uh, have an absolutely brilliant early years lead, a woman called Helen Savage, who um, is all about this sort of work. And, and she was, she's been a really great partner on it. Um, but she invited us in to do sessions with across the schools. We did open-ended play sessions with children um, from nursery. Yeah, two-year-olds up to, 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 to yeah. year six, yeah. And again, that was exactly what I just described, sessions where, where children came in and played. And those sessions were completely um, – they completely formed the backbone of, of what we ended up making, which was this thing called Replay, which is an installation, which I'll, I could talk a bit more about in a bit. Um but that was just, yeah, us watching children play with cardboard tubes, with ropes, with bits of fabric, with um, sort of plastic shapes, with name other resources, barrels, with... Yeah, I mean, just kind of classic, like you'd imagine from like scrap stores and this kind of classic stuff at that point. Yeah. Um, that and was very, yeah, that was the, that was that was us to kind of test the, what are the basics, like our sizes and materials that are exciting. Um, but then we went through a process of design, which you don't have to do, right? I think in school, you don't need to do this next step. <laughs> Just to say like this is because we were creating um, a design-led piece to, to excite um, adults as well as children. And I think um, obviously some children also respond to incredibly well-designed, exciting, stimulating spaces. Of course they do. But we were aware that like, we wanted to make it so that the adults in the children's lives would play alongside and play with. And we, we were like, I think actually design is going to be a really useful way of bringing them into it. And that could be them feeling like they're in a, an exceptional space and there's something really new here. And it's sort of a bit of a trick for us, wasn't it, as well? Mm -hmm. Pull in to get adults co-playing. Because no, that's yeah. the key, isn't it? You actually want it to be about the, the co-playing you mentioned before you kind of want it to be about that you don't want it to be just the children by themselves you want to involve other people in that older children and also adults as well um interestingly as you were as you were putting together the resources either either reclaimed resources or the kind of as part of the designing did you find that there were some resources that you thought oh i know what they'll do with this 
in your in your head, you'd already thought, well, I, I kind of know what they'll be able to do with this or what they probably will do with it. But then actually you found that in reality they didn't. Is there, were there any examples like that? I think what Ruby mentioned earlier was um, this sort of, uh, this real um, want to do role play and to do dress up. And actually across, yeah. across the age range of two to 11, we saw it across. Um, and it was amazing, like uh, seeing some, some year sixes come into a room looking sort of suspicious and sort of like, what are these guys going to, going to bring for us and and 10 minutes later seeing someone um do like a catwalk fashion show and and two people are the designers and two people are are the models and they're dressing up and it's across genders see someone spend the whole session being a king wearing a crown it was around the queen's death actually so i think there was sort of like this intrigue in um in royalty in the air (laughs) but this yeah this uh, this boy spending the whole session being a king, walking around, sort of knighting people, had this big cloak that other people were carrying for him. Um, and like Ruby said, this, uh, I think, um, I always imagine that people are going to build dens. That's like, that's the thing. And, and then lots of dens were built and dens are great. But actually there was this real, um, this real want to, and we're talking about bits of very old, tatty looking fabric that become cloaks. Yeah. And, and we're also talking about bits of fabric that are shiny and, and, and look cool as well. But like, you know, th- that thing of something open-ended so, so it can become anything and but we don't but within that i think one of the learning was about like size of material like we, i think we thought that massive material was going to be so exciting for children and sometimes i think and occasionally if they're right they had enough co-players and they, then it was they'd make a massive dent but actually a lot of it was just left in a pile because it was like it's too too big too hard to handle so I actually realized that yeah more wearable kind of meter squares we're really excited and they can combine bits and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think sometimes we have this, this idea of what what scale would excite. And actually, sometimes that wasn't needed. Um, and also certain fabrics that were, like, too stiff. Like, there's this, like, this, this plasticky fabric we got that we thought was really exciting to build, again, architecturally to build with. And then it was actually just, like, not, not really used. Actually, the floaty things you can tie and kind of manipulate um, were much more exciting. Um, and also I think we learned about connectivity through exploring we learned that like although children can do anything with everything it's really satisfying if something does connect with something or can fit into something and you don't need to make you don't need to like lead them too far with that you don't need to make everything have a curl out of the same thing you don't need to take too far down that but just if at some point there are things that can tie or pegs or ways of connecting then it does unlock so much more I think the first few times we were playing we didn't think about connection and then people kind of hit a stumbling block. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. That was a learning. Yeah. And and which materials did you find were the best? Which are the ones that you thought, well, actually we couldn't do without these, these, these every single step of the way have been the most popular, the ones that have really engaged the children were the, were the ones that stood out. Well, I think also blocks. Yeah. So we're sort of going in different directions, but the, the, the re- replay that we ended up building, which was an installation at the South Bank Centre, um, one of its concepts that it was built entirely out of reclaimed and recycled materials that we mostly got from our connections, which are in theatre, um, a bit of television and a bit of fashion and events and stuff like that. So any event that finished, we, we took stuff. Um, and it shows that we're getting out. We took, took their stuff and we repurposed. In some cases, we repurposed it. Some stuff we could just leave as was um, to be played with. And in all theatre shows, there is some form of block, like a wooden <laughs> block that, that is in different sizes. It might be like a cube, might be uh, something that's curved, 
but um, they're sort of big and they can be stood on. And yeah. actually having lots of them in the space, and we, and we did things like dress them in different textures, um, but just like big blocks that can be moved. I think there's something fun about that scale. The scale of something you can climb on and also move is like different to what you find in a playground or even at home to an extent. You might be able to move your, your sofa about a bit, but you might you might not be allowed. So it's so big stuff that you can move. Um, and then they often became climbing frames or curved ones became slides. Yeah, we had or these, curved ones became these three, seesaws. three or four amazing curved blocks that you really were very simple and but yeah so but really felt really unique in the way that children got to explore with them and a lot of like frisky play came out but in in a really exciting way like sam said like lots of seesaws lots of sliding down lots of making um steps to it to climb on and slide down and or rolling or rolling other materials and other items down and but in a really basic thing back to your question around what is really useful we also found that things break a lot and actually plastic although we can be really and you know we can really plastic can seem quite like oh no that's you know not great for the world but actually if it's waste plastic it's actually brilliant for play so like for example we had you know there's um uh coil in i don't know how to explain what they're called you know the cable cable you know, they're very classic, aren't they? You see them a lot. Yeah, so we had some of them that were made out of wood and some of them out of cardboard. The cardboard ones over time just kind of disintegrated and the wood ones, we had to, because again, like, because they're not made for that purpose. So sometimes they have splinters and you have to, like, we have, they did a lot of maintenance, but the plastic ones are great. Not good, you know, so I think that's one thing if you are thinking of, like, something a bit in a school setting or something that just needs to be, that you need that, um, that thing to last you, need, you haven't got the resource and the time i think just yeah i think that durability isn't it it is interesting yeah. i think also that um you're right in in my experience as well i find that the children are drawn towards things that they can have an impact on in, in that they can move it they can shape it they can shift it they can turn it on its head they can turn it round. whereas the types of things that typically we as adults create for children so things like you know a, a playground for example with a slide and a and a tunnel to walk through, whatever. It's it's only ever that. And and therefore, children, although we as adults think, oh, they're going to love this, actually, in reality, whilst they do like the physical activity of it, they don't engage in it, they don't engage in it imaginatively in quite the same way. There's a big difference between giving the children the loose parts, which might be barrels and crates and planks of wood or cable reels, as you mentioned, or you know, whatever else it might be. And it, there's a big difference between all of that sort of stuff and a climbing frame and a slide and and all of and those sorts of things in terms of the children's engagement with it. There's a massive difference, I think, and you can see it almost straight away. You can see children will make sense of open-ended things in a way that adults don't. Adults will look at it and go, "Well, what is it? It's not really worth anything." You know, it's not. I don't get it. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't make. I, I don't. I don't see what it is. It just looks like a mess. Whereas children don't see, don't they don't say, "Oh, I'm not playing in here. It looks like a mess." They say, "Look at the possibilities." You know, you can see them thinking, "Just look at the possibilities here. I could dive into it. I could crawl through it. I could lift it up, turn it around, turn it on its head. I can, I can have an impact on this." And that to children is incredibly exciting. I think. Two things we learned as well, just to follow on to that about like. Um, space one was about um seeing things so when we had like say baskets of material that were all like in 
actually that off we thought at first that'd be really exciting because you like discover something at the bottom that oh you didn't know that was there but actually in testing it with children if you can't see it you don't know it exists so what we need what we had to do was create like um like a tool you know like those um in in like a, a workshop where you have all your tools hanging up so you can see everything that was we kind of did that we were like we make sure that every material that is out and visible and seen every even even if it's the same we want to see every single piece so that they can go like right what do i need right now let me look around oh it's that thing there i'll go get it which obviously you see in early years which you absolutely see in that design yeah but i would just see how essential that was for this as well like how that actually that mystery it wasn't mysterious we wanted to see it but following on from that we also give before coming into replay the 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 south bank center we had this video before it started and we sort of revealed the space so we kind of gathered children and put them in and, and families in like an auditorium like they sat down and we just thought there was something different we'd wanted to have a moment of of a breath before we go into something to give us that little moment for us to to think and get excited and come up with come up with ideas before going in and it just it just changed the way that children entered the space so I think without that you would have and which is gorgeous but like lots of running and kind of which is also really useful and valuable, but there was something really magical about seeing children just have a moment where they could see the space, but they couldn't go in just yet. And just letting, seeing the clocks turn and think, seeing like, okay, what can I can do? What am I going to do here? And then seeing them sort of like tiptoe in and be a little bit more gradual with their exploration. Um, it was really fascinating to see how you can help with that by just helping them, help give them a little space for, for thinking. And, um, and then the other thing I just, your, your question, your response reminded me of is about, inviting parents to play and inviting adults to play alongside and that was a big part of this project wasn't it? do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah we're sort of big advocates of that a lot of our experiences are in schools but lots are out of schools and and we want like when families come to watch our plays we've just done a christmas production which often is big groups of families coming to, to see shows um we want everyone to be having a good time together because we think that makes the children have a good, you know, we just want the experience to be positive and it not feel like it's um, just for, for one group, the younger children. Um, but as discussed, we know that the parents, for many reasons to do with um, expectation of society, to do with being tired, to do with experience, to do with what their parents did, um, are not necessarily confident players, especially when met with things that doesn't have an obvious purpose initially. Um, so, so we built in some tools that really were for, for parents more than they were for the children, which were like tips of how, how to engage in this space. And one of them was this video that, that Ruby said, it's sort of in a kind of fun, um, dramatized way. We gave some examples of, of, of what this space could do. Um, and then we also created something called a play generator where we had a number of play ideas. How many do we have? I think 400. Something like 400 ideas for play that were kind of on tubes that were stuck into this this big tube that had holes in. And you could pull it out and it said, we'd say like, build a spaceship, go go shopping, um, go on holiday to Benidorm, like, or find something soft, find something blue, uh, get three spiky things together, or, you know, like lots of different suggestions, which as mentioned, children, especially children of a certain age, really didn't need, but it just sort of gave adults the rules of the game exactly and we did see it work of like people feeling a little bit like what's oh, okay okay we're gonna go build a spaceship and then suddenly you see uh dad and son building a, a spaceship and, yeah and it's then, funny isn't it adults take longer to get into it than, than children children almost sort of like you mentioned before a couple of minutes and children will get the idea and they'll be straight into it 
Whereas adults will often kind of have more insecurity quite often. We'll, we'll go to the edges of the room. We'll watch from a distance. We might look for other adults who might be thinking the same as us and we'll go and stand next to them or, you know, that kind of thing. And so kind of breaking that up and getting in the way of that, I think is, is really interesting and, and important to the work, I would imagine, in that unless you get the adults involved, you're going to lose something. And I think that one of our early tests, so we had, um, before we were open to the public, when we had, you know, the installation was ready to go, we had a family group of testers. And then we also had nursery group come in and they had, um, I think it was like 40 children. It was a big group. And there was maybe 10. There was quite a lot of adults as well, 10 practitioners. And it was fascinating to us just to see the difference of practitioners and parents and how they engage in the space and just see in that confidence, basically, practitioners were like straight in there getting everything, playing alongside, not leading, but helping, shadowing. And whereas your parents often say, this is not one rule, it's not always like this, but just seeing just seeing that. And that, I think that also helped us kind of um, validate why we want to work with parents more. It's like, this is really valuable to encourage this approach outside of school as well and, and kind of start that idea of playing outside of school too. But um, but yeah, it was really nice to have those those practitioners in the room and they were so they were so excited because they got it like they were so excited by the open-endedness of it and and one was like i think we had a quote that we've put on every poster it's great (laughs) every nursery should look like this can i ask you about the impact on the children so in terms of you know, in terms of the replay project um, and the open-ended nature of the, the materials, the resources, and the, them being really engaged in it, presumably um, you got to know the children in a different way through them engaging with the materials and the resources. That's the, you, know, the, you see a different side to them maybe. You see them absolutely kind of sparking off the, the sorts of the materials and the resources that you see there. Um, and so I wondered whether you saw an impact. This is the teacher in me kind of thinking about impact. Um, I, I wondered whether you saw an impact in terms of language, in terms of vocabulary, maybe, in terms of confidence, in terms of um, in terms of social skills, perhaps, and collaboration. I, I, I guess those are the natural things to think about. And did you see that happening? I think. And I can yeah. Yeah. Um, so just just to kind of give a bit more context to this, obviously we we provide we create a space. We didn't work with children day in day out. So like, of the families coming to see replay, we would only observe them in the moment of play. So I've no, we kind of don't know what kind of happened afterwards or what the impact is now. But it'd be amazing if we could get like some sort of evaluating partner who could look at that. Um, but the one thing we can talk about that kind of uh, that, answer, that speaks to your question is is, is with Endite because that's uh, the school we worked with. We went back to three times, um, and also because the school and the practitioners there are really excited by that kind of work, we were able to have a bigger influence. Maybe I'll just explain a little bit. So, um, yeah, so uh, we worked with, like we said, um, the not to eleven years in uh, so up to year six in that in those groups, and then. Since that, since we came into those work, um, we had we had basically no behavioural problems all day. So we worked for maybe three days um, with children. And, and, and like I've never been in a class, especially older children, I've never been in a class where there hasn't been some sort of need for a teacher to step in or some sort of behaviour to be addressed at some point in a session. Like it's just never happened because that's school, right? That's what happens. That's children. 
but we didn't have one, not one incident. And children were running and throwing and full classes. Like it was, it was a chaotic space, <laughs> like a risky space, but we didn't have, we didn't have any policing of behavior. We didn't have any children sitting out. And, you know, it was like, it was quite, it was, that's what blew my mind. It's like, whoa, when you let children leave and you give them space, they're, they're fascinated, they're concentrating, they're doing their thing. And, and as a result of that, when and children seeing that, teacher, sorry, seeing that, play out and um, they've kind of changed the play time so they've like you said earlier about what you kind of got excited by and you found those resources and brought them into your playground and um, they've done that they've done that in early years and then now they've rolled it out to key stage two as well so um the so a, a break time and um, they get out or they get out all this stuff on the playground and they have seen such a change in behavior um, and staff as well staff have really started to enjoy playtime um because they've had not so much less um so many less uh accidents as well like less injuries and less um conflict happening in 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 the in the playground because they they because they're stimulated they've got they've got lots of exciting things to do and they can all bring themselves to it in different ways but um at first i think from from speaking to helen who's the uh, early years lead there like we said it was her idea to roll it out to the wider school because she could see the benefits was happening in the um in her department um but yeah apparently staff at first have started they're like gagging for for playtime shooting now after like <laughs> it being like an absolute nightmare yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it changes the dynamics doesn't it and this has only been like, they only started doing this this September. So it's been quite a recent, it's, you know, it's only been like half a half a year now. So it's been quite a recent. So we'll see, it'll be interesting to follow that and see how it develops. Um, but yeah, I would say that, that, that is the, as for us is the big takeaway is just like the, the behavior, like not when you don't, when you don't set boundaries or force children into something, you don't need to deal with all the other aftermath of their emotion. You know what I mean? They they feel heard, they feel seen, they're just, they're, they're following their instincts. Um so yeah, that's that's one thing I can speak to. The other thing that is just that when, when we made it with these family groups, we worked with groups of children, obviously, to to, to develop this project, um, and that was over like a much longer term process. We worked them for about six months uh, on a sort of semi regular basis, and this speaks more to less to the plaything, but more to that kind of I suppose what you call in school like student voice type thing, um, like a, and, and ties back to a lot of our work is is trying to get the voices of children into the work and their their ideas into the work and also make sure that they understand that that process is going on and working with children who helped us through play develop a play space so that was through us observing but also having conversations and then also us saying through these conversations and through our observations you are helping us make this space and then them seeing that lead to a, a practical uh, to, to like a, a realized project and outcome um, always does absolutely masses for the confidence, for articulacy. And I can definitely think of a few children that we worked with who were, who were really articulate about what we were doing by yeah. the end of the project. Who were it really was quite a hard thing to kind of at first explain. Yeah. Because it, it, it was like very conceptual actually. Because it's like, what do you mean we play all the time? Like, how is it different to this that we're doing now, this test? Like, how is it going to be? Exactly. But by the end, totally got it, yeah. And therefore, where, you know, at the beginning of that process, you can say to a child, what what should we make, put in our play space? Like, that, it was too open-ended, but by the end, like, a, there were children who had really good understanding of that. Um, and obviously, you can't do that all the time, but it, it speaks to that thing of, of allowing children to be decision-makers in, in whatever space they're in. 
Which is what open-ended play is, isn't it? It's allowing children to be decision Yeah, exactly. And then observing and talking to them and seeing that actually that particular play object is never getting any airtime and it's using up space. So so perhaps I get swapped into something else. Yeah, that's good. And, and did also, I'm thinking in terms of the adults, so for example, say the parents or perhaps the teachers who have been involved uh, at Dyke as well, that... Um, did the, did you get the impression you've talked about sort of the playground, you know, sort of playtime? Um, but I wondered about sort of the parents. Did the parents then think, well, actually, we could give the children some some things that are a bit like this, maybe to yeah. play with? Did Did you have any of those sorts of conversations? Um, the start the start of those conversations. Um, uh, so we. We also did a session recently, actually, because we're continuing this work, even though that project has kind of happened and it's got this outcome, which is replay. We're also continuing, like, thinking about how we make playful spaces and how we get families playing together. So we also thought maybe that could happen in school settings as well, like after pickup time. Like, maybe it's not in the playground. Maybe we can have a, a, a drop-in session where families play together. So we, we have tested that. We started seeing what that would be like. That was at Endike as well. And so then we were just kind of having conversations with parents around play and where they think play takes place. And, and I think, again, a big thing for me, Elena, for us is that, that again, it can be really alienating this thing. I think the idea that play happens in isolation in a playground or in a in a, um, a soft play area or in, uh, like, what are they called, like, trampolining park or like, these, like, these really isolated places. So I think it's so this really um, useful that we can, I think we can become more better advocates and, like, trying to find ways of, showing and just not even doing anything new but just showing where it's already happening and showing what that means because i think it's quite a yeah i don't think people quite understand how how essential it is and how much children are doing it all the time and how yeah um but also we did see in that parents getting very stuck in i think because they're so comfortable at school because it was like a space that they come to all the time they know really well the kids know the other people there everyone was like the parents were like getting so stuck in they didn't need the prompt in that moment they were just like absolutely going for it which was so magical to see but yeah I was wondering I was like okay yeah again for us our focus is about that co-play into like how can we help find more spaces where this can happen um because people are knackered aren't they and like actually at the end of the day if you've been working all day and your child's just come back from school like it's really hard to be like a really active play with them um so yeah how do you create those sort of like how as schools and as arts organisations, can we provide those spaces that are, are low key and they don't cost £10 and it's not like yeah, it's this big trip on, on a Saturday morning, but like where you can you can give space for play. I think that's what we're, we're, we're thinking more and more about. And in the extension of that, we are, I think this idea of like, like resources at home and things like that, we are thinking we're doing a working out with real, our early, babies out we were doing projects at the moment with babies and we are thinking about that like can we create like little boxes like little takeaways i think other organizations have done actually yeah, yeah. really successfully of like open-ended resources yeah lockdown that was a big thing wasn't it like a play at home box i've seen a couple of theater hullabaloo have done one really brilliantly in darlington um but yeah we are thinking maybe there's something around that that they come to us and have a playful experience but maybe there's also something you can take away to continue uh, like a mini scale version that you can take away and play at home and um, but it's not something that we've, we've we've done yet and so tell us about the impact on parents then because that's a that's an interesting one isn't it that actually for parents quite often i guess they will be seeing their children using materials that they maybe have not had before they've maybe not seen before or used before also it may be changes potentially i don't know I'm, I'm, i don't want to put words into your mouth but does it change the parents idea of of 
of kind of what is useful to the children. In the, you know, as parents, quite often, you could understand that actually we're surrounded by adverts for toys. We're surrounded by marketing about what, what toys or what materials children should have to be able to do this, that and the other. When actually what you're showing through your project is that actually many of the most meaningful things to children are really open-ended things and don't necessarily cost a lot of money. And so could you tell us about the impact on parents? I think that'd be quite interesting. Yeah, I think those are powerful forces that you mentioned that the parents are up against, aren't they? Of like being like what their children are going to like. So it's so it is difficult. I think um, our work intersects in a, in a couple of ways. But the biggest thing we do, as Ruby mentioned previously, that we do these they're kind of one-off events that you know families will come to for a day. So I think we're advocates there. We're advocates for this way of playing. And by packaging the, this play in something that looks aesthetically dynamic and interesting and fun, um, that the experience that we created also had like a, a sound, especially composed soundtrack that sort of ran through and, and affected energy and mood um, and, and also felt sort of part of the world. I think having that, that sort of dynamic experience, which w- w- would be difficult to recreate at home in its entirety, but hopefully shows the potential of, of what actually is just very simple, open-ended play with quite simple objects that perhaps can be an inspiration for parents taking home. Quite uh, quite regularly, people would, if I was speaking to a parent, um, both at South Bank or at, at, at home, they would go, oh, it's that thing about the cardboard box in it. For Christmas, you get kids from the cardboard box. Everyone knows and it. And everyone knows it. We all know it. But we all feel guilty and still think, no, we also need to spend £100 on that console or whatever. It, like, it's, it's really interesting. I also think there's something interesting now how um, there are certain markets for open-ended play materials that are extremely expensive <laughs> for parents. Like, there's a lot of Montessori-inspired soft soft things. And it's like you could go to a scraps or you could go to – I'm sure like a lot of early years will, practitioners will know their places where they get them from for basically nothing – and you'd have the same result, but because it's packaged up and marketed and sold as this thing that people feel like this. So yes. There's a real con out there, isn't there? It's a real... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Real... Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think, I think the other thing is that, that you've been talking to you, it's making me think about is the what you've really got to grips with as part of the project is the complexity of play and how incredibly complex it is and how I think as a society we actually talk about play in such simplistic terms that only just really just touch the surface. You know, we talk about play being, you know, a children's party, you go to a play barn, for example, or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, ball pools and all of that kind of thing. And yeah, that's playful, but it's not really anything like what you're talking about in terms of play, is it? There's a, there's almost like two different things, like chalk and cheese completely, aren't they? And the same with, you know, we buy things for children and we say, well, we'd be able to play with that. We'd be able to play with that fire engine. You'll be able to play with with whatever it is I bought you, and yes, they will. But again, that's a very different thing to what we're talking about here in terms of children really having that ownership of the materials, them deciding what it's going to be, them changing it, them having a real impact on it, being empowered by it. That's again a very different sort of thing altogether. And so, yeah, the complexity of play is what I think comes across loud and clear in what you're saying, really. Yeah, we just to, to further that we we I think similar to what you said earlier about the playground being like kind of physical play. We also we were like, okay, how do we break down? How do we make a, make a space that has as 
the opportunity for as many different types of play as possible. Um, and so we had like tried to, it's all getting quite adult, isn't it? All get quite like categories and themed. We were like, right, okay, we want physical play, we want imaginative play, we want creative play, we want um, sensory play. Um, and we kind of did that as a way of helping us figure out we need that adults because we need to do all that. But I think basically, yeah, if you just put in dynamic materials in a corner, like we're saying, open the dynamic materials, they just do it. They just do it. Do it. You know, a lot of our work is is for helping adults and fa- and parents get it and make those connections, <laughs> um, which is really kind of funny. And um, we need all these layers to kind of understand it. And actually, children just like saying swimming it, just do it. I also think children are just being told what to do. In ninety-five percent of their lives, whether it's get up and brush your teeth or put your coat on, or play with this fire engine because it is a fire engine and it needs to make a needle and it needs to drive around, and every parent also knows that there will be certain times in the right space, right context, right mood, a child will sit and play in the most concentrated way with 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 an open-ended object or even with a toy that's theirs, but it becomes many different things. Um, and yeah, it's just about creating the space and, and time to allow that in a world that is often pulling children in so many different directions where they need to, to stand up, you know, do all of the things that, you, that need to happen in a school and in family life. But where is that space for them to, to play? It's like their voice, isn't it? It's like how children, yeah, like you're saying, it's like how children impact the world. It's, it's, them, it's their voice. It's their main way that they communicate, isn't it? So That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we, we talk a lot about the importance. I talk a lot about the importance of, of communication and language skills for young children. We talk a lot, you know, particularly since the pandemic about the needs children have in terms of speech, language, communication. Um, but actually, unless we're really going to make children feel that they've got a voice, unless we really make sure that they feel valued, unless we make sure that actually they've, they, they can have an impact on the world around them, then actually, we aren't giving them the opportunity to use that voice in a way that actually they could, you know. So, so yeah, it's about celebrating the voice of the child, isn't it? What, what you're talking about is very much that celebrating the voice of the child or celebrating how they communicate in a way that is very natural to them. And and that, I think, is, is really meaningful and will be very meaningful, I'm sure, to the people who listen to the podcast. Um, and I think just to... Sorry, go on. One addition to that is just that thing of children who perhaps uh, have recently arrived in the UK and have English as an additional language or, or have, have very little English tool, or children who have perceived behavioural problems, providing spaces where they are making an impact and not doing anything so-called wrong, you know, that whatever they do is 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 a positive step. And that might be just making a, a you know, a tower of blocks, has, is so valuable for that child and, and absolutely gives them a sense of, of impacting the world, like you said, of doing something that is is positive and that, that hasn't been perceived as wrong. And the hope is, therefore, that they can then take that feeling and, and perhaps apply it to the things that teachers also need to, to, to get out of their children like writing and reading. And just to say one more thing, it's like <laughs> Sam's point, it's just how important early years practitioners are for all of child development and all, like I said about those early, it feels like the skills and the things that we like know this stuff, we can see it, but, like, but then it's like, dropped off in, in later years as an education isn't it um and, it, and not just in school and as a society and it's like actually there's something about keeping that <laughs> keeping there's that something going. so powerful isn't there about yeah. it yeah yeah there's such a spark there yeah absolutely um just finally i was going to ask you about uh, what next 
because it's, you're involved in so many interesting and exciting projects. You know, that you, already you've talked about, you know, a number of different things that have gone off in different directions. So I'm keen to ask you what happens next then. So replay the project that we've been talking about, which is this play installation, we are hoping will come back in some form, um, possibly again in London, and then also having some conversations with some partners up north. So hopefully in some um, northern cities in the future, in the next few years, um, which is exciting for us. And, and, we, and we really want to share it with families uh, closer to, to our base. Um, we are also embarking on a few other projects in this sort of space, thinking about um, public space and, and how, how playable public space and how child-friendly public space is and creating works of art around that, especially in our, in our home city of Hull, um, which we hope advocates to, to, to higher powers, councils and stuff about like often the, the unfriendliness of, of public space and thinking about those sort of playful cities and things like that. Um, and then a, another piece that's a kind of more of a festival street offering which does a similar thing open-ended play um that just arrives in in communities or or, or in high streets and, and encourages sort of short moments of play um again to demonstrate everything that we've been talking about but in a public space um but yeah just generally we're, we're, we're really fascinated by working with early years with children and, and, and families of early years children and working with other people who are who are in that space from earliest practitioners in, in, in school settings to academics to uh, people who are in playground design and stuff. And, and I think there is, I'm sure you will know, like a, a perceived political unappetite in some of this work. There's a, there seems to be a very like um, a very specific way that, that um, politicians think about childhood that, I think you and and us and every early years practitioner we talk to knows isn't necessarily um, the best way of getting the best out of, of children, yeah. getting the best out of all children. Um, so just being part of that conversation in, in the small way that we can be as a as a small arts organisation is, is is really sort of like informing our project design and, and what we're going to do in yeah. the future. And, and in terms of, you may not know this, I guess, but in terms of future projects, do you need schools or would you like schools to be involved? You know, is it in terms of how we can help you? Um, is it is it the case that if, you know, if people are interested in, in being involved, can they get in touch with you? And if so, sure, 100%, you know, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like we could not have made this project that reached 15,000 people of this summer. We could, we could literally wouldn't have existed without NDIC. Like they were fundamental to all of our learnings um, and also yeah we just also go into quite often we go into schools just to observe like just just to see how children are getting on and I think like it's just it's yeah, so so helpful for our work and also another thing for us is, is trying to reach how to reach audiences and we know that the really really children who are really excluded from things working with family settings is not possible so working with schools is where we make sure that all children's voices ahead and all the scenes. So they're, they're, they are essential. And we are thinking more about how we can use our practice within a schools, with, rather than us kind of saying what we need and taking things, like what can we also offer to schools? So like we've been speaking to um, Endike about potential like shows for transitions when children are first coming to the school or moving up and just thinking about like how, how drama and play can be used to around the school that's already set in. Um, 
So yes, absolutely, get in touch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah see, that would be fascinating to hear if you, if maybe in, I don't know, six months' time or a year's time, if uh, if you're able to come back and tell us about the work on transition, I think that would be that would be really, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting follow up. Okay, so people can do basically what I did, which was I went to the herd. Um, website. I went to your website, and there's a there's a, a message system, so you can just you click on that and then just send a message to the team. Brilliant, very good. Well, thank you ever so much to both of you, Sam, uh, and and also to Ruby as well for joining us on the podcast. It's been fascinating um, to listen to you and to hear about all about the project and to hear all about the, the things that you've learned along the way. I think it's been great, it's been wonderful. I've been nodding along. Everything you've said, I've been nodding along. And brilliant. So, yeah, lovely to talk to you both. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Cheers, Andy. Thanks. So there you go. Um, thank you very much to Sam and Ruby for joining us on the podcast this week. And of course, to you people for listening along as well. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. There's definitely lots to get us thinking there, I think, in terms of early years practice. You know, the, the value of open-ended, often quite simple, but open-ended materials and resources. Now, I should think you're probably interested also in finding out more about Sam and Ruby's work. And what we'll do is we'll add links to the podcast information so that you can keep up to speed with all of the things that they're doing and the projects that are coming up, or if you want to get involved with the sorts of things that they're doing. Um, that's about it um, from us for this week, everybody. Thank you ever so much again for listening. Have a good week and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.